0: Caught offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from a suburb of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. We have actual EPL to discuss. Some might even say EPL back for additional coverage.
1: Which is much catchier than the original EPL back for more. Andrew, the football is back. And the football is reassuringly crap. And that's been important.
0: It's so funny you say that. I didn't even tell you that that was what you just did is something that I kind of wanted to talk about. I can't even believe you just did that. It's like a a segue that I uh, few could even dream of. And now I'm I'm talking about the segue, which kind of kills the the segue. Um, So I was listening to another soccer podcast. I won't name them because I'm about to kind of criticize them and I usually only name other podcasts when I want to praise them. I feel bad about criticizing them and then telling you who I'm criticizing. Was it guys in shirts? No, it was not. It was not. I I like them. I don't care. (laughs) I enjoy them. But at at any rate – not about um, totally soccer no, I'm not gonna no it wasn't them either, and I'm gonna just say no to all everything that you say. You're that guy you want to. you're like a tabloid, you criticize tabloids, but you you need the gossip you it's killing you right now that that you don't know who I'm talking about, but at any rate, it's not important for anybody people who listen to this podcast probably listen to that one too, and they may know who I'm talking about in a sec, but like they started off their show that I was listening to. And they kind of started off, it was, it was sort of tongue in cheek, but it was, there was like an air of, of seriousness and meaning it to what they were saying. And they were just kind of like killing the action and just like, oh, it was awful. You know, I just like, oh, it was, it was really tough to watch. And, and I, I just feel like as a listener, like in that moment, I was not Andrew Gunling the podcaster or whatever. Like, I was just a fan listening for what their reaction was to some of what happened over the weekend. And I was just thinking more about that. And I was just like, dude, is this what people want to hear? Like, all these games that I invested time in and watched, like, okay, I know what my eyes told me. These weren't works of art. I get it. But, like, do you want to just, like, come on and have people tell you how awful? Like, it it happens in this sport, and maybe it's an indictment of the sport, but it happens in this sport, the coverage of it, more than any other sport that I think I follow, where it seems like the people within this – Within this venue, like podcasters, journalists, whatever, they love to just crap on the game, and I don't know if that's like some sort of smugness, arrogance. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I don't, I don't know as a listener if people want to hear us just like come on and be like, yeah, the games all suck, but we're going to talk about them now anyway because what else are we here? going to do. Like, I I don't know. I just don't want to hear that anymore. I'm kind of tired of it.
1: Who, who is worse than Andrew? The people who talk about football as if it's this cross between the greatest action adventure film you've ever seen. And every game is just these moments of almost orgasmic joy and the guys who slag it off. Let, let me tell you this I weekend. Think, I
0: think I prefer if you want to give me fake joy and enthusiasm. Okay. I'll be able to tell that it's fake, but I think I, I think I'm now in a place where I prefer that to someone just telling me it's it all sucks. That it's just not enjoyable. No, but soccer,
1: that weekend was not that much different from a lot of weekends we've seen before. Do you know how many goals have been I scored? Agree. Do you know how many goals have been scored in the last like seven Merseyside derbies or something like that? At Goodison? Like one. You know, was, yeah. People need to we've built up the 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 And I hate this. I hate this. I never want to hear it again. We've built up the beautiful game to this like level where it's, I mean, there's bad NFL games. There's bad games of shuttlecock, badminton. Sorry. There's, 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 there can be drab games of ice hockey as well. It's just, you know, and by the way, I would say that the moments that illuminated this weekend, which we will be going through now shortly, were payoff enough. They were so good for the minutes you spent watching the game beforehand. Yeah, I mean, like uh, the consensus back home, Andrew, is that the football needs to get better, or else we'll all tune out.
0: Yeah, that's that. That's what I'm hearing. Is like these guys have been off, not really training consistently for like four months, and they kind of get thrown back into this super weird environment for them to be like playing in these sixty thousand seat stadiums with no people in it. Like this was a weird weekend of action, and people—it seems like people just have no tolerance for a transition back into playing under really, really strange circumstances.
1: I, I will say this: Arsenal held up their end; they have kept their levels of consistency <laughs> to a great degree. Should we start with Man City and Burnley today?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. If you want, we can do that. I—I I honestly, I, I watched it. I don't have a ton to say about no. it, except for. Except for this, They're, since the restart, Manchester City, they, they had their way with Arsenal. They did, they did the same thing again today with Burnley. And sometimes you watch them and you like not just watch them, you look at the names, you see the team, you see the manager, you watch how they play, and, like, and then you look at the table and you're just kind of like, how did, how did this happen? how is this gap what it is this manchester city team everything my eyes my brain it it all tells me that what i'm watching is a great team and i think the last two seasons plus have have bore that out um i guess there were just we'll look back on the season and we'll just look at a few games and say what they just weren't on it that day i, I don't know because i still i still wholeheartedly believe that next year will begin and manchester city will be right back Contending for a title in a in a way that was just not indicative of what we saw this season.
1: Well, as they should be, Andrew. And and again, it was Lee Dixon that remarked during the commentary that the, he counted four hundred million dollars worth of talent sitting on the bench alone. So they had a drop off for sure. We we pointed out ad nauseum the defects that often happen in 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 the in the PepBot three thousand plan, and and that can happen. And and some of the defects the major defect was that they met a Liverpool team that this time was relentless, even when it was playing bad. And that's, that's the difference. Liverpool were that good. Um, uh, and city had those, those games where they fell away, away to Norwich, et cetera, et cetera. But they hammered Burnley today. They've looked really sharp since the restart. Although I would not measure anything, uh, against that Arsenal performance because that was so spineless and, and, and supine and pathetic from Arsenal. But, um, but if you but see, so are, we,
0: are we talking about that game too right now? Are no, we, I'm just saying uh, we can we can lump both of these men city games in at once because there's. Well, I don't, things, things to say about that Arsenal game. Well, well,
1: there is, and um I, I think David Luiz has become this, this, this meme, this joke, this clown, this fool. Become has been for some time, I guess, and and we said at the start of the uh, the season signing him was just. Just such a weird signing, almost of convenience. He lives up the road in London, and he wants out. Like, let's get him in. When you know, it's a long time since David louise has put together a string.
0: Honestly, and and we're we're beating a dead horse saying it because in our preview podcast we did talk about it, but it was just the ultimate. We're you know, let's look at our squad. Oh my God, we're horribly thin at centre back. Oh my God! There's no one available. Who's the biggest name that we can just go out and get and hope that that appeases the fans?
1: Who's the biggest name that we can get quickly? Who doesn't have to move house and come into preseason straight away? Dav Luis. um, and but but Andrew him aside, like let's let's move him aside. Let's move the conversation. He was a disaster against Manchester City, but let's move the conversation to the to the to the Brighton game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well actually no let's stick with with the man city game we should we should talk man City were brilliant Arsenal were terrible
0: hey come uh, on baby if you got nothing to say about city we'll talk Arsenal
1: no 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 because I want to save that that's later on in the rundown I've got I've got my brain tuned into city now because I do want to talk about the game at the Emirates today and the and the and the crowning of a new king of English football as well in Phil foden but um but you know Arsenal rolled over so easily for city and city were ruthless but they always are and you there was just no way Arsenal were ever going to put up anything against City, so I thought, okay, we'll park that one. Let's 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 move on. And so City play uh, Burnley today, and I texted you beforehand. I just felt there was no chance Burnley could get anything out of this game, and, and Burnley were resolute for for a little bit, or they did their best. Yeah. To be. they tried to be compacted. There was an organisation there, but City, like you said, City are so good at what it is they do and you know the hours of of shadow play the hours of 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 work in terms of movement there's always somebody able to get on the ball look at look at david silva andrew he's on the way out the door i know and look at the performances he's putting in there's so- know, it,
0: it, it, it's funny not to cut you off but i feel like one of the the marks of a truly great team is i'll watch manchester city play and a month will go by And I'll say, boy, Sergio Aguero is just clearly the best player on this team. And then, like, another month will go by and I'll be like, oh, Kevin De Bruyne is just clearly the best. And then it's Raheem Sterling is just clearly. And now I feel like I'm saying Riyad Mahrez is the best player on this team. Like, they have so many best players on this team. It's a team filled with best players on this team. Uh, I don't know how you account for them. And they did something today that I think it's – I think this needs to become the next trend in – I was going to say English football. I'll say all football worldwide, you know, because we go through these trends, you know, that's, um, you know, playing out from the back, things like that. One striker up top. Uh, JJ, the way Manchester City work the corner kick, the set piece corner kicks, like kick it out to Foden, who then, you know, he'll do something, either he'll shoot it, or then they'll like run in a play after that. Like, I think it's time that that becomes a more regular thing. Like these, these just throwing balls into the box and just hoping, I I have to believe that the percentages of, of, I won't say creating a goal, but creating a more quality scoring opportunity. I have to believe the percentages are more in the favor of working a well-run set piece from a corner rather than just lobbing one into the box and hoping for the best.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that was, I I think if you're Sean Dice, you're going to be very upset with that goal. I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant finish. Don't get me wrong, but equally, um, you know, if 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 Burnley are that little bit sharper, they're maybe getting out to close them down quicker. But you're right. Um, there are, but like there are teams that you know kind of
0: <laughs> U.S. Women.
1: I yeah, I mean, well, they love their near post corners as well. But there are teams that have variations on corner kicks. Barcelona do it too. You know, it's not it, it it's not quite what you think it is. But there are a lot of sides that have such good guys with set piece delivery that they do whip it in and they don't really work too much. But you're right. If you look again. We will deal with this later. I don't want to go back to the Brighton-Arsenal game, but Brighton's Brighton's equalizer was a a short corner, which was horribly mismanaged. And I think if you're Sean Dice, you're going to be pretty upset with the way that uh, Burnley defended that um, that, uh, corner kick. But honestly, Andrew, uh, this game was a train... Of all the games that people have said have been like training games, this one was very much a training game.
0: I know. I I was thinking the same thing, JJ. Even in the way that... Manchester City goal scorers were reacting to their goals. Yeah. There was just like no emotion and granted I don't know what Manchester City are playing for right now. They're out of the title race. Their top 4 chances are are solidified, but they may not even be a Champions League for them because of the ban in Europe. So like they're just kind of they're just kind of going through the motions right now, but look what their version of going through the motions are. Like they're just destroying teams. Uh but you're right. Like watching Phil Foden reacting after scoring these goals, he was just like so calm and and yeah it was almost and for a guy who furious. who's
1: a guy who's had limited opportunities yeah and and now the clamor the, the clamor starts foden will be a feature for england in the in in the next seasons next summers please god euro 2021 i mean andrew why not, not, why not? there they don't have that many options in, in terms of really comfortable guys on the ball in in the middle of the park and he's one of them um yeah it's
0: uh, and he's about to become a regular for them like if there was concern for England,
1: if well, there we concern, think so,
0: well, I think David Silva is going to leave. And I like why. I mean, look, it's Manchester City, so you can never rule out them just like throwing crazy money at somebody. But, you know, especially if Leroy Sané leaves, as, as he is apparently going to do, and they're going to get a lot of money back for that. Um, but like, why wouldn't they give this guy a chance to be that? to be that midfielder for them.
1: Well, I, I, you know, being the proper football man who likes to see players come through academies and be brought in that way, rather than by throwing, you know, hundreds of millions of of dollars at the issue. Yeah. I think, I think it'd be nice to see. It'd be refreshing to see, but unfortunately that wasn't really the story of the game. Oh boy. So right at the commencement of the game, right as the players had just taken a knee for, uh, the black lives matter campaign. Um, People who we don't know, and we don't know who organized it, but we're, the assumption is that they were Burnley fans, flew a plane with a banner over the it had that said, White Lives Matter Burnley, which was which is now subject of an investigation by the police and the Premier League. And um, before we say anything on it, I think it's important to listen to uh, Burnley's Ben Mee, who had some pretty strong things to say. About what happened, um, I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed to. Um, that a small number of our fans that have, have uh, decided to, to put that around the stadium. Um, completely missed the point. Um, a group of lads in there are, are embarrassed to, you know, to see that, and it's not what we're about at all. Um, missed the point. The whole thing that we're trying to trying to achieve, trying to do. I think these people need to need to come into the 21st century and and educate themselves, and you know, as, as a lot of us do. And, you know, completely miss the point of the whole thing that, that we're trying to achieve, and um, does not represent what we're about, what the club's about, what the players are about, and what the majority of the fans are about for sure. So he addressed it straight away. the The, the question from the Sky Reporter was tough night for Burnley, and that he was obviously referring to probably both things. Um, but Ben Me didn't shirk and go for the football option, which probably in this case was the easier option to talk about. He went straight away and said he was embarrassed by that by that banner that was flown over the stadium.
0: I mean I'm I'm so glad that he used this term over and over again missed the point missed the point because that's that's it that's it like everybody who continues to harp on on those sort of lines the all lives matter things like that they are missing the point like they, we, we know that all lives matter but what we're saying is that black lives have not been treated in that manner and so like, that's what this movement is, is to basically catch black lives up with the rest of lives. That's why this is all happening. Like, how are people not seeing that? How are they not putting this movement together with what, that, with what, with what the phrase is, black lives matter? So I'm glad that he keep, he kept on using, miss the point, miss the point, because people continue to miss the point. They're choosing to miss the point. I don't get it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think as well, for context, uh, Burnley has, as, as a town, 10 years ago, elected some, I mean, they were the epicenter of the far right rise in British politics. Uh, there's an interesting article I'll tweet it out about um, from the New Statesman about that that moment in time where they were electing some of the most morally and ethically reprehensible candidates that have ever come out of British politics. And um, and it's interesting, Andrew, you know, pe- people keep saying it's a small minority of, of people. I th- I think it's quite a large amount of people it's not as small as we say it is and um it's scary when you see the protests against black lives matter in london two weeks ago i'm wondering how many of those organized the plane to fly over the etihad were involved in that too i think football still has a race problem in terms of um in terms of those who are are racist football fans well like john
0: barnes told us when he was on with us it's not football that has a race problem it's society that does
1: right And, and but football has the largest cultural um, right. yeah. Cultural theater for um, shows up all the time, so I'm glad Ben me spoke that way. But it was uh, it completely overshadowed what was a, a fine performance by Manchester City.
0: Yeah, uh, let's see. I guess let's go to Arsenal now. It seems like you desperately want to talk about them, although for whatever reason you continuously stop yourself from doing it. Um, you know, we talked about what happened with David Luiz in the Manchester City match. For the Brighton match, I want to talk a little bit about the burnt Leno situation, Neil Monte. Yeah um, being at the center of that, uh, I'm a little bit torn on it. Like, I believe that Mope was probably a little bit over uh, in the way he approached it. Um, and, but like, by the same token, does that necessarily make it dirty? I don't know. I feel like there was a little bit of bad luck involved with just the way Leno sort of, there was a lot
1: of bad luck. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but one thing I wanted to talk about with the incident was the way, that Arsenal responded to it. So, um, you know, there's this talk, this consistent talk about Arsenal having this soft underbelly. Uh, you know, and that's, you know, kind of like we've heard Troy Dini talk about that before. We hear pundits and media talk about that all before. And I heard a ton of that in the wake of this game with Arsenal capitulating at the end and throwing the lead away and then ultimately throwing the game away. Um, there was a ton of talk about, oh, if you go down against Arsenal, it's no big deal because they're soft. They'll let you back in. Uh, okay maybe maybe i'm talking about two different things here but i would also say that okay so neil melpe then at the end of the game wants to rip arsenal for kind of the way they reacted to him um, after the burnt leno incident like to me soft underbelly would be if arsenal just showed nothing in in the way of emotion after I know, Andrew. After, the burnt, after what happened to burnt sorry leno.
1: Sorry, sorry, sorry. And I, I, do, I really, do, I, I'm not just picking on you for this, but there's a difference between petulance and, you know, channeling aggression into the right way. Arsenal didn't play better. They weren't inspired by what Mope did to Leno. They didn't roll their sleeves up and say, right, we're going to batter these guys. They went one nil up, fair enough, brilliant goal by Nicolas Pepe, and promptly conceded straight afterwards when they switch off. The soft underbelly is still there. They're right to get in Mopey's face. They're right to defend their teammate. That, I, I, I'm, I, talking,
0: I, I'm talking about that side of it. Like in baseball, sometimes like, okay, Arsenal still played poorly. Yes. But like sometimes in baseball, a guy will strike out and he can either just walk back to the dugout and put his helmet down or whatever. Sometimes I want to see a guy after he strikes out, take a bat and smash the water cooler. Okay. Like, yeah, you still struck out. It was still a bad moment. It, like this, It is what it was for Arsenal. They're not very good. And, and, and like teams can come back against them. They're defending is they're always going to keep teams in the game because they have bad defending. It's just the way yeah. that it is. Uh, but I'm, what I'm saying is I kind of don't like Neil Mope and people want to rip the way Guendouzi and Arsenal players reacted um, to Mope. And I'm kind of saying, I, I don't know if I, at least at least they're showing that they care.
1: Yeah. Uh, but do they, Andrew? Because then look at the way they reacted to the corner kick for the goal. You're, you're talking about short corners. I mean, there's two Brighton players gone out, and Danny Sabayas is the only one who trots out to make a half-assed effort to stop that build-up. No, look, they're not and a good team. The ball goes into the box, and holding isn't strong enough to... to, to stand up and boot that ball
0: away that thing should have been clear yeah, and, and i thought worse than all that i thought was mustafi at the end of the game it drove me crazy how he allows mope to run by him and then what does he do he screams at his goalkeeper afterwards well how about you stay in front of your man i, you totally, like, I no, they're they're not a likable team they're not a very good team um you know i'm just saying i at least <laughs> for me at least they showed some kind of emotion that it that at least it mattered i think you're
1: damning them with prayers, praise Andrew. I, I am. Look. Yeah, the same issues that have affected him for a decade under Wenger are still there. Like centre back. Why is Mustafi still at the club? Never mind, Louise, holding. Those guys can't defend, like you said. The midfield is unable to keep control of a game. They can get control of a game, but there's no way they're holding on to that that kind of dominance. The lack of leadership on the field. Like they're senior pros, Andrew. Like Mustafi is a World Cup winner. I I maybe he's great in the dressing room. He's not good on the field as a leader. Kalasinats. I just don't see leaders in the team, and and you know what? Said Stafford Blower said exactly what you're saying when he was writing about this over the weekend. He just said maybe it comes down to the fact that they don't have good players. Like you take let let's go through the good players: Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Nicolas Pepe at a push. We don't know exactly what he's going to be yet.
0: He's he's very raw.
1: Yeah, but look at the goal. That front three is that's pretty awesome. You look back the midfield, Gwendozi. We don't know what he's going to be yet. He's young. Um, Danny Sabaja. I mean, uh, obviously he wasn't playing at the weekend. Danny Sabayas, skillful, sure. Is he going to be able for to pick it up for the Premier League? Hasn't done it yet, not consistently. Well, he, missed and I,
0: a, he missed a lot of the season with injury. We don't know. We
1: Tierney, don't- Tierney signed from Celtic. Big signing. We've been told. Can't hold down a regular spot in the team. He, he has had a few injury problems as well. And look at the defenders. Look, I, our Ted has got a lot to do. And, and what you brought up on the podcast last week was most important. Will there be the money to change all this?
0: Well, here's part of the problem. So talking about Arsenal as a whole, uh, Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror was on the Sunday supplement. Uh, he spoke about the way the club is handling their key players from kind of a financial perspective, from a transfer perspective. He said, Obama Yang is set to become the latest in a long list of players who have left the club either on a free or for substantially less than their market value. When you get a talent such as Saka uh, and his contract is running down, you have to ask, why has a big club like Arsenal not moved more quickly to be able to sign him up? I think it's true for Arsenal. I think it's true with what we saw, um, what we've seen with Tottenham, with players like Vertonghen, Aldevareld, Christian Eriksen, who left. You know these clubs letting their their players contracts run down to the end, and it creates all this uncertainty. It creates, I think, discord between the player and the club. You know, players want to feel either taken care of, or if they no longer want to be there. I think sometimes it's a tough decision to make, but maybe it's for the greater good to just let them go. Um, and so, for Arsenal to allow some of these key players to get to within the final year of their contract, I feel like it just creates all this this uncertain atmosphere around the club, and it's. You know, it's just not, it's not helpful.
1: And to give Arteta his due, he is trying to set standards. He is trying to do things the right way. You know, he's leaving Ozil out of the team. He's not, he's not getting him involved. If he's not going to work or if he's not going to put in what he wants, he's not going to have Ozil in the side. Um, I feel for Arteta, it's a long road ahead. And I hope that he's given the time that he, that that's needed. Cause it's going to take a long time.
0: I think he will be. I can't, he doesn't feel like, I mean, Arsenal know what they are, right? who expected him to come in and work a miracle?
1: Yeah, I know. But I mean, Unai Emery either. Like I know it wasn't going well under Emery and I think I've seen more from Arteta, not much more, but I have seen more and he's a rookie manager, Andrew. I don't, I, I, it, it depends. And I'm not entirely trustful of the ownership of the club either from what I've seen over the past few years.
0: No, it's been a, it's been a bad restart for them. There's a, there's just no way around that. Uh, let's talk quickly about the Merseyside Derby. 0-0 uh, is how it ends. Liverpool's title weight will have to wait just a little bit longer. Um, not a ton, really, to say about one. Maybe Liverpool missed Mosala a little bit, somebody who could kind of just provide sort of like that cutting edge uh, in attack. I thought Sadio Mane was dangerous. Uh, the mane Seamus Coleman battle was fun to watch, I thought.
1: So good. It was awesome.
0: Yeah. It really
1: was, and uh, I mean, I mean, clearly Ancelotti. If you want to see the impact he's made at Everton, just to talk about them for a second, watch that first forty-five minutes. I thought I thought Everton were compact. I thought they were so well organized. When's the last time Everton have been this organized? Not under Marco Silva. No, like Liverpool loved playing Everton under Silva. Like the chaos, the the, the gaps, the spaces, the defensive errors. Certainly not not under Ronald Koeman. And not as organ. Well, maybe a little bit more under Kuhnman, but certainly not the same under Roberto Martinez. So this is like, this is real solid coaching work that's been done by Ancelotti. And it's, it's, it's really, really good. It's not, it might not be great to watch in terms of, you know, it's not super exciting. And they do have to figure out that midfield and what they're going to do offensively a little bit more. But Everton are in a really good place and they denied Liverpool space. I thought Liverpool had all the ball. Everton had the chances, and the chances mainly came when Liverpool lost Joel Matip. I thought I thought Liverpool were going to just keep plugging and plugging, working the angles. Everton would tire, and Liverpool will get that opportunity. But what happened was Matip goes off, and Liverpool are so unsettled by the introduction of Lovren. Like Andrew, how many? There was three attacks three goal scoring opportunities straight away down that left-hand channel the right-hand side of the central defense there when Lavern came in and Everton could have could have nicked this game and, and uh, made Liverpool wait even longer for the for the championship so I think yeah. good I, I honestly other than that it wasn't good
0: no not really I have a couple quick things just on Everton um one, we don't talk about this guy very often, but I wanted to just throw out there that I I like Calvert Lewin as a player. Um, I think he could be, you know, he's a young player, uh, potential England international. I think he could be a, a good piece for them to to build off of. And um is an interesting one for me with Everton. I love him in the sense that it seems like everything positive that they do in attack, he is in some way involved with it and i love players like that who just they're desperate to be on the ball in key moments in attack um but my god if there aren't moments when i kind of scream at the tv and say like just make that pass yeah like do this one thing different like you can tell he's he's a really good player and under the right coaching as long as he's willing to listen to like you know and ancelotti is a legend like you know as long as he's willing to like listen to these guys I feel like he could really be a superstar in this league, but he just has moments. I know they even commented on it. Uh, was it Graham Lasseau or Lee Dixon? I can't remember who was doing that mm-hmm. game. But they even commented on it in the second half when you know he had someone streaking in the middle of the box where if you play the ball in, you know, it may not be the world's easiest pass, but if, if it gets through, it's an easy tap-in goal. And instead he goes for this, like, he's going for the incredible. He's playing hero ball. Um, and I think someone needs to harness that. Because hero ball can be a good thing if you're a world talent. Um, but sometimes it's just going to do nothing more than infuriate your teammates.
1: I actually think his his work rate and the way he plays for Everton, the fans really like it because there's a little bit about him. He's not, he's not, I, I, I wouldn't enjoy playing against him. He's a, he's He's got that little edge to him, but he's not a polished finisher yet. And that's something that needs to be worked on. I would agree with you. Um, just on Liverpool, before we get off the game, You could see rust, and I'm not making excuses, but you could see moments of rust. Like there was the one move in the first half, which I think was Liverpool's best move in the game. And it ended up, it was quick interplay, Mane and Minamino, and it ended up at the feet of Roberto Formino. And he just dragged this shot wide of the post, like scuffed it completely when he should have really hit the target. And I looked at that and just that little bit of edge has been taken off. Uh, and one comment I want to make and this goes not just for Liverpool or Everton or Arsenal or or any team really in the Premier League. You don't get better at not doing something. Repetition is important and this break has affected every team there's no question.
0: Of course, of course. Last thing on Rascharlson, can you think of another player JJ? I feel like when he when I'm watching him, he's one of these guys who he always looks angry. I don't know if that's his Yeah, age.
1: that's what I mean by his edge.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I feel like maybe like Greg Bellamy Okay. I feel like also, like, Clint Dempsey may have had a little bit of that, where I felt like he was just always playing angry. Um, but I feel like Lewis's actual face, like, his, the, he looks like he's mad. The, construction, the,
1: the construction of it.
0: Yeah. Or, or maybe that's just the face he's making when he's playing. He's just a very intense guy. I want to see what he looks like when he smiles. I bet he has a nice smile. Uh, let's see. We continue now, JJ. Oh, my God. Christian Pulisic. He didn't have a spot in Frank Lampard starting 11, but that did not prevent him from making... A massive impact. Uh, He has now, this season, scored a career-high six league goals. Um, In fact, how about this stat? His six goals are tied for the most by an American in their first Premier League season. Do you know who he's tied with? Brian McBride. No. Good guess. Very good guess. One of the best I've ever heard. Uh, Joe Max Moore, who did it for Everton in the 99-2000 season. Get out. How about that? And there's plenty of time where I would, if I were a betting man, I would probably put money on Pulisic to get another one before it's all said and done and uh, hold that record to himself. Um Frank Lampard talked about Pulisic after the game because you know we Americans we we only see him through the lens of what every decision means for his future. That's <laughs> the only way we can so when he's not starting like the freak out is palpable. When he comes on as a sub, the excitement is palpable. Like I, it, it's fun to ride this this way.
1: It's, it's exhausting. I, we we got a tweet. Uh, Thankfully it was only one tweet. I avoided the rest of the Pulisic comments. One guy tweets us and goes, Lampard didn't even celebrate when he scored. (laughs) And I tweeted back. He did. He pumped his fists. I think he tweet, he tweets back. He tweets back. I must've missed that. I just want him to play every single game. So he goes on and brings us to world club, world cup glory. Like, It's insane. I can't handle it.
0: But it's fun, though. It's fun. It's not
1: fun. It's not fun. I think he's doing just fine at Chelsea. Really well, actually.
0: So Lampard said after the game, um, it's almost like he was speaking to us, Americans. Like, I feel like with quotes like this, he said, he will start games for us, of course. And I think he's going to be a big player for us, not just in the running, but going forward. He was hungry. I know that. And I felt for him as I felt for the players with long-term injuries. The ability he's got to arrive in the box, it's a big thing. I've spoken about it with him all season. It's the difference between being a very good player off the side, an attacking player, or the players at the real top level of the game that arrive and score in the six-yard box and hit numbers yearly. I really think Christian can do that, so I was really pleased with him, the impact he made when he came on. JJ, if there is, is it even possible on this podcast for us to utter the name Frank Lampard and then not have you immediately say, arriving late in the box? It's And, it's- now, and Frank is now seeing a little bit of himself in young Christian, And I think that is, I think that bodes well. I think Frank is taking him under his wing. And I think that this is the beginning of a, of a beautiful mentor relationship
1: between. I I mean, he's put the pressure on him straight away. And we've put the pressure on him to score the amount of goals that Lampard did arriving late in the box. Um, I I would say this, the kid didn't play a competitive game since January. I I, I actually didn't expect him to start. And, but what did I text you when he was coming on?
0: He's going to make an impact. But
1: he, he, that's what he's done consistently. Yeah. And even in those games where we were like, oh, my God, he didn't score against Sheffield United. And and from what I've heard, they're not so good. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? We should just sell him, sell him, sell him to the Columbus crew. At least he'd be happy. You know, that kind of neuroses. Yeah. That kind of pro- – that stuff. It was such nonsense. He was still performing well. I mean, there were games where – there was that Champions League game where Lampard inexplicably left him out of the squad. But everything after that, the performance against Ajax, the performance against Burnley away, Lampard, unless he is unless he's arrived late so much in the box that it's affected his brain, is not stupid. He is going to see what Pulisic is, is giving and he will be a regular starter. Also, Christian Pulisic has not proved durable over his career. Playing every game is not good for him that's what i'd say but he it's a great
0: point i hate that it's a point that exists but i really i think so highly of this kid's talent and his skill i really believe the only thing that can set him on the wrong course are these injuries because not just because of what it'll do to his body but when you're at a club like chelsea who we now see are are more than willing to spend again as the timo Werner signing has now become official um like he may continue to still be really good after these injuries, but there's other guys who are waiting for their turn who are also really good, and he may just miss an opportunity based solely on that. Uh, so you're you're right. I hate that that's a thing, but he's got to. I don't know how you tell a guy like be healthy more. You know, these are muscle injuries. This was an adductor muscle injury that he was dealing with. Like, I don't I don't know how you fix that stuff. Um, I just hope that it's right now it's some sort of bad luck situation and then he'll be fine going forward. But you're right, man. That's I really think that that's the only thing that can kind of deter the direction that he's headed.
1: But an excellent weekend for him.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about another American who had a, a two other Americans, actually, that had nice weekends but in a different league coming up shortly, um, which is why I am already giddy for the 2026 World Cup. But that is another story for another day. Uh, some other thoughts, JJ, on the race for the top five. Four, let's talk a little bit about Manchester United and Spurs. Um, I thought, again, not a great game. I thought both teams I thought both teams kind of looked like – like this is one of the games that kind of looked like a game of these two teams from before this break. Like we're talking about other teams that came out all oh, day. Look, Rusty, clearly this break has gotten to them. This, this game to me kind of looked like Tottenham pre the, the break. Like they're trying to play on the counter. They don't really hold much possession. They're trying to be compact, but like they get as the game progresses and they've got this this narrow lead, they get more compact and more compact. And eventually, you could just feel. I texted you. I said the goal is coming. I didn't know how it was going to happen necessarily. I don't necessarily know it was going to be a penalty, but you could just you could feel that Manchester United were going to get something because Tottenham. It's, it felt like it was more and more last ditch defending, fewer opportunities going back the other way. Um, I do give Spurs credit for um, for a couple things. For one, I thought after the um, the Manchester United goal, even though I feel like Tottenham were really gassed, and Mourinho, for whatever reason, didn't really utilize the extra substitutions or even the, the even three substitutions. I think he only used two, but whatever. They they were gassed, but I felt like they did kind of regather themselves for those last ten minutes and put some pressure on United. I know they almost conceded a penalty in their own right, um, but I thought that you know it could have it could have gotten away from them. Um, with how it was headed, and I thought that they kind of steadied themselves and at least were able to see out the draw. Uh, and you know, looking for other positives, I think I think Steven Bergbine is a really good player, and I think he fits what Mourinho wants to do. Uh, he's he's lightning quick, and he appears to be a good finisher. Um, we saw that against Manchester City, and now we saw it again against Manchester United. I know David de Gea was partially at fault, but you know, Bergbein got that ball about fifty yards away. Dribbled right around Harry Maguire, who's an England international, who's having a good season, and fired a, a an accurate hard shot on net, and De Gea couldn't handle it. So, I really like him. He got hurt, you know. He's another guy who who I hope injuries don't set him the wrong way because he was playing great, and then he had the injury before the break. He's healthy now, and I thought he was really good.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, I think you're being very kind to uh, Harry Maguire and his defending on that goal. But you know, those individual bursts from from deep. Uh, that's how Spurs are going to win games under Mourinho. That was a long ball hoofed up the field that wasn't dealt with by Shaw, I think it was. He heads it. And then as Roy Keane pointed out, just runs, they lose the ball, they're spacing behind and the United defense was opened up. De Gea definitely should have done better. Um, but, you know, I thought United played okay in that first half and uh, the goal came out of nothing. Um, I, I really thought United were going to, were going to dominate that game. And, um, What was interesting for me was the impact of Paul Pogba in the second half.
0: Oh man. I mean. It's the story of the game.
1: Yeah. He was so good. Now, Eric Dyer did not cover himself in glory in his defending and Pogba didn't even have to, Pogba didn't even have to turn on the tricks to turn him and get into the box. And he won that penalty perfectly. And yes, it was a penalty. Um, but Pogba, you saw flashes, his passing range, that pass he played on the half volley. That was just, you know, perfect. And, and, And I honestly think him and Bruno Fernandes can play in this midfield together as long as they can. And we can see it clearly. They've got to be able to screen the two United centre-halves, either McTominay or Matic or some combination of the two, because they are susceptible. Now, we're all very nice here, Andrew. We're all very kind. We talk nicely about this game in a rational manner. Um, I think, though, the star of that game was sitting in a studio in London. I'm human here watching this game of football. I am staggered at Maguire, staggered at an international player can just get done like this, and I am sick to death of this goalkeeper. I would be fighting him at halftime. There is no getting away from that. I would be swinging punches at that guy. This is a standard state for an established international goalkeeper. That goalkeeper, I am fed up. That the Gea... The most overrated goalkeeper. No. Patrice, the most overrated <laughs> goalkeeper I've seen in a long, long time. Did he, did he do anything oh, to restore no, his, his reputation with the save from Son? No. I'd save this. This is this no. not even going in the, you know, you're, going you're the top. You've been you're, you're on this, this one. This is middle of the goal. That, the other voice there was Patrice Evra. The dominant voice was Roy Keane, who, I mean, lit up Twitter across the world with threatening to punch David De Gea because of his... Attempt at a save in the uh lead up to the Bergwin goal. Said
0: he wouldn't let him back on the bus, right?
1: Said to Maguire and to uh De Gea, De Gea that both of them would be left behind. Strong. And and people say, you know, well he's playing a character. Is he? Uh. Uh, I'm not so sure. I think this who he this is who he is. And and look uh, you know, we know in sports media there's there's much of the outrage is performative. We know Arsenal Fan TV. We know even in this country, um, speak for yourself or whatever that is on Fox. I mean, a lot of that is is performative. But with Keane, I don't think for a second that that's the case. This is who he is. This is a guy who left players behind on an away trit, trip for Sunderland because they were a minute late for the bus. And Daniel Taylor tweeted something out. I, I texted it to you over the weekend. This is a guy who, when he was at Nottingham Forest as assistant manager last year, would get annoyed when fans would send requests for autographs and not send stamps so they could be posted back. He's like, why should Nottingham Forest be paying for stamps?
0: You know what? He's right. I think he makes a great point.
1: And that's why he needs stamps.com. <laughs> but seriously, he is... uh
0: one thing about one thing about what he's saying about De Gea, I mean, look, to say that he's the most overrated player, however it was he phrased it, I, I, I guess if you still view David De Gea as being the best goalkeeper in the Premier League, then sure, he's overrated because he's no longer that. Um, De Gea is another one of these guys that we talk about where you just wonder, like, ironically enough, Eric Dyer with Tottenham. Um, you just wonder if maybe... Manchester United missed their their moment where they could have sold him it would have been a difficult decision at the time but for what they would have made yeah. and for where his career may have been headed uh like it's just hard to know it's hard to know when is the right time to sell a guy and I think it's easy to sit here now and you know play Monday morning quarterback and say yeah, when when Real Madrid were ready to come in and make him the most expensive goalkeeper in the world they should have pulled the trigger um it's it's just tough to know, man.
1: De Gea was Player of the Year for United two years in a row, which definitely, you know, kind of elevated his status. He's been in a slump for a while now, uh, but as has the team, really. Um, it doesn't help that the understudy is down the road at Sheffield United playing as well as he is Dean Henderson. And um, maybe he needs someone challenging him hard behind, or maybe it's time to give Romero a bit of a run in goals. I don't know, but for he is... Like, Andrew, that was a basic save. That's something you should, that's a ball you should save when it's coming straight through you like that. Um, But he's making, it's not like, he still makes good saves, like that one where he tipped the header from Son that he tipped over the bar. It's more that he's he's making these errors and they seem like lapses in concentration. And he seems a lot like the goalkeeper that was signed under Sir Alex Ferguson, where Gary Neville thought he'd never make it. Now, Neville thinks he's in a slump and should be moved on. I'm not so sure. I think I think Solskjaer is going to wait this one out a little bit longer and, and try and work with him uh, to improve him. I don't think he's going anywhere yet. But it is a nice safety net to be able to recall Dean Henderson down the road, should things get uh, you know very, very bad.
0: Yeah, Henderson, by the way, who his contract was extended for the remainder of this season. Um yeah. as you would as you would have expected to be the case. Uh one note on the Tottenham side of this, Paul Merson at Sky Sports, he spoke about Uh, Harry Kane. And look, I love Harry Kane. He was invisible in this game. You know, it is what it is. Uh, Kane, he touched the ball just 36 times total, not once in the Manchester United penalty area. He attempted one shot. It was blocked. Uh, He looked tired. You know, it it was his first appearance in what, like six months or Mm. so. Um, And Paul Merson then says, this guy can't succeed in a Josie Mourinho system. He's not going to be getting his 25 to 30 goals like what we've expected from Harry Kane, and Kane is going to want to leave. Um, to me, my, my instinct when I heard that is kind of what I was just saying. Look, who maybe that will bear out to be true, but to choose this moment, I think, to make that judgment, I think is wildly unfair. Like I just said, you know, it's been six months for this guy. I don't know what his training regimen was over the course of, of the quarantine. Um, it's not going to happen for him. You're not going to snap your fingers. and He's going to be back to the Harry Kane that was putting in 30 goals in past seasons. Um, look, and, and what he score? Seven in his first 10, I think, under Mourinho. So to say that it's just not going to happen for him playing in this system, like I said, maybe that will wind up being true. But to, to choose this moment as the moment where you're going to make that decision, is just – it's not. It's wrong. It's it's not fair to Mourinho or Kane. It's just it's inaccurate.
1: Well, thankfully Mourinho decided that he would come back and list all the players that have succeeded under his all the strikers that have done well under his tutelage and got all their not all of them but got some of their goal scoring records wrong.
0: Well, he he made he said
1: Drogba scored one hundred and eighty six goals
0: from. I mean, Drogba, he made the classic mistake of confusing
1: appearances
0: goals with appearances.
1: Yeah, I mean, he scored. Six,
0: but you know his point is well taken. Say what you want, yeah. make fun of it, but like there, there are plenty of strikers that have not just played well, but thrived, like had the best years of their career playing under Jose. Mourinho.
1: Some of those were a decade ago. You're right. It's worth noting that. But 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 I don't believe it. I actually do believe Kane can score uh, in the system Mourinho plays. I do think there needs to be more structure to that counter. There needs to be more structure after they've done the good stuff, the compact stuff, the closing down, the sitting deep, the low block. When they get it, they've got to be more constructive. There has to be patterns of play, and I yeah. haven't seen them yet.
0: You're right, and and it's total, it's a fair criticism, and we're kind of like going back now. Boy, I really feel like we're back into the – into the Premier League, if you and I are going to be talking about Jose Mourinho, it's great. I feel alive. It feels like it. it feels
1: like February again.
0: No, Come on, we have to move on. We have other know, things to talk about. I know. About. It's just the only thing I wanted to say about that is that like, that's for the people who want to rip Jose Mourinho for that exact criticism, which is a valid one, all I would say is watch their final year under Pochettino. It's no different. So whether that means the players have kind of gone stale or Jose Mourinho needs to just get in his guys who know his system, I don't know. But... Um, it's not just a manager problem. Uh, a couple other things here, uh, talking about the top four, um, JJ, I put it on the rundown. I wonder what you think about it, that it, to me, it felt like Adama Traore did a Christian Pulisic for Wolves.
1: He was so, so good. Andrew, it comes on, he just changes what was a game. I think I have watched, you know, you know, when you're watching a really boring film and you're like, I, I can't do this anymore and you switch it off. I was so close with West Ham and Wolves to just say forget it. And I only watched the second half of the game. Apparently the first half was even worse. And Triori comes on. The first goal is really interesting to me because uh, the Jimenez goal because as quick as Triori is and as good as his feet are, it's the striking of the of the cross. The way he delivers the cross That's really become so consistent for him. Andrew, he puts it in that area, pinpoint every single time. Very little backlift, not a big elaborate crosser of the ball. He gets it in there with like almost a flick of his boot. And he did it a couple of minutes before, and Jimenez just didn't happen to be there. He repeats the trick, they score. But but Neto's goal, you had just everything that's good about Wolves in one neat little package. You had Triora's quick feet to work his way through I think it was past Declan Rice and, and another West Ham midfielder gets the ball out wide then to Doherty, who, I mean, the perfect weight on the cross and NATO with a full volley straight into the roof of the net. That goal, Andrew was worth watching that absolute diarrhea of an hour of a game of football for.
0: That's beautiful. You really are a wordsmith. Um, (laughs) Sheffield United a bit of a nightmare start the the 3-0 against Newcastle the red card happens it all falls apart for them that's one thing but the the goal line decision in the first game back against Aston Villa I feel like it has it has shaken my world I don't know what to believe anymore we can all we can debate till the cows come home the the merits or the the awful elements of VAR but the one thing that we could all agree on was that goal line technology was a gift from the heavens. And I i no longer, I no longer know what to believe. This, is, this has changed me. I, I'm cynical now. I'm, I'm different after this. S-
1: someone, someone tweeted that, yeah, we could have used VAR for this goal. Yeah, we could have used the goal line technology. Or Michael Oliver could have seen the goalkeeper using the net like a hammock <laughs> to have known that the ball went into the net. Look, if we're going to have this bloody thing in football, the watch doesn't work. And so VAR and Stockley Park can intervene. They can say, you can look at this. But they didn't because the watch didn't work. It's like this is outside of our purview. It's It's like if my house was on fire right now. And a police officer was walking by and he could see the flames. And I shout down to him, please help, help. I need some help. I need to be saved. And the police officer went, well, that's, that's really the fire department's area.
0: Right. Or like he just, he couldn't do it because he hadn't actually gotten communication from the dispatcher.
1: Well, I haven't heard from the dispatch that there is, you know, just such, it would never happen. What is this nonsense? Like, so that was very frustrating. But but to move on to the weekend's game, Sheffield United are a shadow of the team they were. They're so sloppy. Some of their top performers, like John Egan getting sent off for that whole thing with Joe Linton, was just stupid. Uh, even though I'm not sure the second one was a yellow. But the first one, just pushing him to get a cheap yellow over that. Yeah. And then Enda Stevens, one of their most solid performers. <laughs> the ball is coming across and he just gets his legs in a mess. And the next thing, the ball's in the back of the net. Um. Part of that was good Newcastle, good Miguel Almirón. He looked he looked good. He set up Joe Linton's goal. Um, but also another part of that was Sheffield United. I mean, they they are just wishing that they can find a way back to their to their uh, their previous form. Yeah, they the restarts not been good for them.
0: No, we'll see if they're able to steady themselves. Um, and then JJ Crystal Palace and Roy Hodgson is kind of they're kind of forcing us to. To take this Champions League run somewhat seriously, they have just one fewer win than Manchester United this season. We have, and, Chris, and I feel like if I were to tell you that, you would think, well, Wilfried Zaha is probably the best player in the league right now. He he hasn't even really been as lights out as the Zaha that we've come to know over past seasons.
1: Although he, you know, he he was pretty good at the weekend as yeah, well. Yeah. He, he should have scored one himself. And the, he, set, he, he started the, the move for the IO goal because he held on to the ball. And then Van Arnholt, I think, was on the overlap. And he plays it into IO and IO buries it. It was a really nice goal. Uh, Jorgen Klopp paid them the best compliment, that they were a really oiled, well-running machine right now. And they are. They're playing superbly well. Um, can I talk about Bournemouth quickly? Sure. Andrew, Ryan Fazer running down his contract won't re-sign for next season. So Eddie Howe says, nope, that's it. You're done. You won't play again for us. That, to me, is a crazy decision. Uh, Ryan Fraser was bought from Aberdeen by Bournemouth. And what happened? He ran down his contract at Aberdeen to get to Bournemouth. Bournemouth should have had a bit of foresight on this and said, look, he's under contract to us now. Let's play him and get the most out of him. And I know he said he wasn't putting in a full shift. Thank you.
0: I was about to say that.
1: I know he said he wasn't putting in a full shift beforehand, but honestly, like, you can't limit yourself like this in, in the absolute dire straits that they're in. And, um,
0: but was he even helping them? I, and what, and who knows what, like, I'm sure the locker room has probably, I got to believe that people in that room have turned on Fraser. If he's not giving my all and I don't want to be here next. But week.
1: Andrew, if you put it in these terms, Ryan Fraser, listen, if you want to get your move, here's a nice window to show what you can do and get your move wherever you want. You're leaving. We accept that. But like, he doesn't play in these nine games and he's got this whole comment that he made where he wasn't putting in a shift in the previous part of the season hanging over him. I mean, if you're another club, are you really going to want that? It's a chance for him to 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 reset things.
0: Another but that's- well, another club will look at what he did the last couple of seasons and they'll trick themselves maybe into thinking, sure. well, you know, he won't do that. You know, he, he won't be that bad apple for us. Uh, real quick at the bottom of the table, I did want to just mention, obviously we talked about Brighton. I think they come out as big winners here um for the how the restart has gone for them but also Watford salvaging a big point against Leicester City what an incredible finish to that game Ben Chilwell's goal was amazing and then mm. it might have been topped by Craig Dawson's bicycle kick in front of net uh to equalize that was a thrilling final five minutes of that game
1: yeah and again uh you could see on Brendan Rodgers' face the disappointment this is not a good run that has traversed the the uh the COVID-19 break they're they're not in good form right now with Leicester and uh he would have really have, would have been expecting them to hold on to that one. But what a great goal by Dawson. What a yeah. brilliant goal. And I actually think Schmeichel will be upset with himself. He got quite a bit of a hand on it, but it was just so close in. I guess he couldn't keep it out with the power.
0: Yeah. Um, that's about it for our look at the the Premier League right now. Um, the games are just coming so thick and fast. I feel like, you know, we could do a podcast every day if we wanted to. Uh, but, you know, we'll continue to obviously just cover the hell out of this because – I don't care what people say. The game's fine. Okay, fine. They were crap. I loved watching them. So whatever. Uh, also over this weekend, JJ, we said when La Liga restarted that we felt there would be twists and turns at the top of that table. Well, now we already have our first twist. Barcelona, uh, they draw nil-nil. Real Madrid get a win. And so they now go top of the table uh, by virtue of their owning the tiebreaker against Barcelona. Karim Benzema, what a goal he scored. This was his 165th for the club moves him into sole play, uh, sole possession of fifth place all time on Real Madrid's scoring list, uh ahead of Mexican legend Hugo Sanchez. Um so yeah, Real Madrid top right now. He's
1: been brilliant since the since the restart. Uh Barcelona, they had three shots on target, I think, against Sevilla. Sevilla defended really well. They started Braithwaite, Messi, and Suarez up front, which I suppose all right, I guess, I guess Braithwaite's earned his starting spot there, but it, it just didn't seem to work. Suarez had a really good chance at the end, and he's he's fired it over on the half volley. But honestly, Sevilla were relatively as comfortable as you can be against the Barcelona team with Messi in it. They they were pretty comfortable.
0: And then in Germany, a couple of things I wanted to mention. Obviously, we didn't get the chance to mention last week. Bayern Munich, they've done it. They're champions. Eighth straight season. Uh, from the time the restart began, even before, we talked about how hot they were coming in. Uh, to the the break Um, this was this was theirs to lose we said that when the when we did our Bundesliga preview or part two preview kind of thing Um, and sure enough they have been clinical Uh, Borussia Dortmund they will be second place in the Bundesliga Um, what uh, Erling Haaland again two more goals for Dortmund but what an assist from the other American kid the other boy wonder the even more boy boy wonder uh, Gio Reyna with just a beautiful touch pass to, to Holland.
1: Well, we have to get back in studio. One reason we need to get back in studio is to create the American dream drop.
0: Holland has given him this nickname and I think, I, I think it works. I think I'm going to go with it.
1: He's the American dream, Andrew. Yep. Um, just to take it in stride like that was just perfect. Open out his body, his left foot, and just let it caress the side of his boot, put it into Haaland's path, and you knew the net was going to rustle. It was actually a very mature performance. Because you know what, Borussia Dortmund, away at Leipzig, I didn't know how they were going to perform, but they they were good and uh, pretty comfortable, to be honest with
0: you. Uh, and then, by the way, I wanted to mention also, Chris Richards made his debut for Bayern Munich's first team. He's the first player to play for Bayern Munich uh, in the Bundesliga since Landon Donovan. The first American. Did I say American? I don't know well whatever that's that's what happened so, <laughs> lots to feel good about oh yeah lots to feel good about as you mangle your way through that 2026 jj I'm oh 2026.
1: i can you feel think, it you
0: think we'll still be doing the podcast in 2026
1: uh, we will be doing it live from every single venue on the road to glory
0: i think we'll still be in quarantine
1: oh stop you're so negative come on come on
0: um let's see what a beautiful mailbag we have here to close out with. I'm really excited. Actually, you know what, before we do that though, uh, we had news that we want, that we needed to mention about the NWSL. Actually, I want to do that before the mailbag. Is that well? I guess,
1: I guess, I guess the news is that, um, we didn't. We thought we were going to get a flood of team rosters today. We thought we were going to discover a lot about what's forthcoming at the weekend. It was supposed to kick off on Saturday with the Orlando Pride playing the Chicago Red Stars. Um, on Monday afternoon, the Athletic reports, the Orlando Pride announced that the entire team will be forced to withdraw from the upcoming NWSL Challenge Cup due to multiple positive COVID-19 test results among players and staff. I'm skipping on here a little bit, but sources tell The Athletic that multiple players visited a bar in Orlando that prompted the additional testing, which ultimately led to the first positive test, uh, positive result. Bars and other establishments were opened earlier this month in Florida. So we are waiting to really hear what's going to happen now, how it's going to be reconstituted, what it's going to look like. Um, And as we go to record right now, we don't really have very much information. We know Carly Lloyd has ruled herself out of the tournament. She's picked up an injury and will not play. So she adds herself to the list of U.S. uh, women's national team players that won't play in this.
0: It's in times like this when I see the Orlando Pride story that I, the only analysis I can conjure up comes from that of Joe Girardi, JJ.
1: I know what you're going to say. You
0: want to say it together?
1: Three,
0: two, one. Well, not what you want. want.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not good.
0: And um, look, the the most important thing is everybody can pass their own judgments or how they feel about these players going to a bar before this tournament kicks off. I mean, personally, I'd say it's you know I'm as antsy as anyone to get out of this house right now, but like you're about to you're about to take part in this tournament, like this is just not the time to be acting recklessly. And like, let's call it what it is. Florida's in the middle of this terrible spike right now, of this virus, it's reckless to do that. Um, so, but I hope they're all okay. First and foremost. I mean, that's obviously what matters most. Well, M- Meg Linehan, who is all
1: over this, she's a great follow at it's Meg Linahan on Twitter. Um, she's saying, or reporting rather, that um, sources telling at MLSist, which is Pablo Mar and I, that there is an NWSL league call for all players tomorrow to discuss the changes to the Challenge Cup schedule. Looks like preliminary round will now be three games for each team, two groups of four teams. So, look, we have nothing more to report at this point. We, I, I thought we'd have more to say. We don't.
0: Only that you know, we wish the best uh, for their recovery.
1: All right, Mel busy. Yeah. Caught pod at gmail.com on the interwebs for the email and at CO pod and Caught off ESPN on Instagram. Um, lots of you got in touch to let us know about your favorite audio drop from the show that you're missing because we don't have access to our library right now. Um, Andrew, the Maradona drop was the most popular. And I would say followed by, oh, it's crap. Oh, it's bloody rubbish. Rubbish, which uh, featured strongly. And uh, we even had a shout for our Henry Kissinger drop.
0: Oh, God, that is such a good one. I miss it. I miss it yearly. The United States has stadiums. So speaking, of, um, speaking of Maradona, I wanted to mention something. It's, um, You know what today is? It's, I believe it's,
1: it's the 34th anniversary of his hand of God game against England.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So there you have it. If we were in studio right now, you can be damn sure you would be hearing him mumbling. (laughs) Oh, it
1: never fails. Uh, Jackie Choi, I think is my favorite question. Um, Yes, I know you guys try to be nice to Wando, but are there any other players you can think of who have been defined by one moment like Wando against Belgium in 2014? Can I go first?
0: Sure, I have three. Oh, I've just picked one. It's a role reversal. You I guarantee, more I guarantee that the, the one you pick is within, it has to be one of my three.
1: Okay, this guy was a world player of the year going into the 1994 World Cup yep. finals in the United States. He was utterly brilliant. After Italy lost to the Republic of Ireland and made a slow start, from then on, he was magnificent. He scored five goals in the tournament, made the tournament the team of the tournament But he skied the penultimate, not the penultimate, the last penalty against Brazil in the final in Pasadena. He hit it so high over the bar. It's probably still traveling. Roberto Baggio. What he had an unbelievably good career. He was a brilliant player. And yet I reckon when I say Roberto Baggio to many people, that's the first thing they think of the penalty miss to give Brazil the world
0: cup. I have two here. Ultimately, they're both wrong, but these are guys who, maybe the biggest moments of their career were so horribly negative. Um, It doesn't define them, but you'll see what I mean. Okay. JJ, I felt like I needed to throw John Terry in there for slipping and falling on what would have been the winning penalty of a Champions League final against Manchester United.
1: Definitely a big moment in his career, defining... hmm.
0: You're right. Like I said, it, it, he's such a great player. Right. Aside from that, that, that moment alone couldn't define his career. Um, but it was probably the biggest single moment. He could have, he literally, it was there for him to win. The keeper dove, the, Van der Sar dove the wrong way. Yeah. And Terry slipped and fell and put it wide. Ugh. And then the last one I have is, is, if you thought that one was wrong, this is even more wrong. However, like I said, does not define his career. But JJ, if we asked a hundred people right now, to name one famous moment that involved Zinedine Zidane, I guarantee you 90 of them would say the headbutt of Marco Materazzi in the World Cup final. Which is. And it, it and just, it's, un, it's unfair because he's uh, one of the greatest players ever. Uh, like if you made a list of your 10 greatest players, he, he very well might be on that list. And no. even in his, in his second act as a manager, he's been great at Real Madrid. But God, the power of that moment was such that.
1: You do something in a World Cup final. It's immortal yeah it's there forever
0: so there you I, go i think great those great are a pretty- question from jackie Choi.
1: yeah it was great from jackie um oh look who it is andrew it's alex jones from colorado is this real alex jones yeah not the alex jones i wouldn't entertain an email from him
0: but, but i this- assume that you'll read it in that voice
1: well andrew uh, gundling is uh he's he runs a false flag podcast uh this podcast is uh be run by the Chinese to try and set up the military industrial complex. Do you enjoy that?
0: Was that the, was that the email that Alex sent?
1: <laughs> no, this is nice, Alex Jones. Oh, I watched the recommended documentary last night, An Impossible Job, about Graham Taylor, where they had inside access to follow him when they failed to qualify, when England failed to qualify for. Um, USA 94. I had one main question. Is it common for the assistants to simply sit there and nod in agreement with everything the manager says and not provide counterpoints or tactical adjustments? The whole time watching it seemed like there was very little in terms of coaching going on from the England bench. Well, actually, Alex, that became one of the main features Uh, of this expose when when it went out on television over 25 years ago people were like laughing at assistant manager phil neal so graham taylor andrew would want to make a change and he'd say he wants to get ian Wright on so graham taylor would go yeah i think we need to get ian Wright on and then phil neal would go yeah i should get righty on now um lee dixon lee 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 go left back go left back and then phil neal lee lee go left back go left back This was such a parody, Andrew, and it became such a thing that there is a film available on Prime in these United States that I now recommend everybody should watch. It's called Mike Bassett, England Manager. And it basically, it's a spoof of that whole thing. Mike Bassett is like a second division manager at Norwich, and he gets given this poison chalice of the England job. And he's got a yes man, just like Phil Neal, as his assistant coach. It's one. It might be the funniest football, the most quotable football movie, soccer movie that's ever been made. I like it. Amazon Prime, Mike Bassett, England Manager. It's so good.
0: I like that. You know who I think of when I was reading that email? Um, this is a, maybe a little bit unfair, but I felt like every time they would show the Louis Van Hall Manchester United bench, you were kind of getting the same thing from Ryan Giggs. Yeah. <laughs> Just like kind of a shoulder shrug and a head nod.
1: Remember, he punched him.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so United scored, and LVG is like,
1: "Yes, we will make the second place." And he's pumping his fists, and he turns around and Giggsy. Giggsy's a pretty stoic character, anyway. He turns around and he's not happy with Giggsy's stony face, and so he punched him in the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah mike bassett england manager cannot recommend that highly enough Uh, scott rasmussen wonder if you saw bruce arena's comments on the national anthem i've thought this for a long time it makes sense during olympics or world cup but i've never understood the need to play the anthem before every sporting event thoughts
0: so you're going to bring this up at an hour and 10 minutes into the podcast like i feel like this could almost be its own podcast
1: oh i know i know well i'll just say what bruce said um I question why we're playing the anthem in professional sporting events in our country. It puts people in awkward positions. We don't use the anthem in movie theaters, Broadway, other events in the US. I don't think it's appropriate to have a national anthem before a baseball game or an MLS game. In MLS, most of the players standing in the field during the national anthem are international players. They aren't even Americans. So why are we playing the national anthem? I'm honored to represent the United States in World Cups and international matches. I think playing the national anthem is clearly appropriate at those levels.
0: It's kind of one of those things that because you just grow up with it and it's because it's the way that it's always been, you just, you kind of can't imagine sporting events without it. It's just like so ingrained in, Mm. in like what a game is. Like, this is how the game starts. You have a national anthem. Um, But when you do stop and think about it, there is kind of this part of me that's like, you know what? Yeah. Why? Like, why do they? I'm not, I don't look, I don't know if it's right to do it, if we shouldn't do it. but. I do think that you can make the argument that it is it is odd. It is a little bit unusual.
1: It's done, It's been done for almost 100 years in baseball. Um, since I think after World War One, or in or around that era. Someone can correct me on this. Um, but I just don't think it's particularly respectful. And in the current climate right now, I'm not sure it's particularly necessary
0: or helpful. Well, um, it's become necessary and helpful. Because of what it's being, at least how I feel about it, because of kind of the the vessel that's being used to help improve. Um, so yeah,
1: yeah. I suppose it's it's your opportunity to for peaceful and dignified protest the national anthem. I don't know. I'm not sure about it. I, I will say I come from a culture, Andrew, where before every GAA league match, interestingly, not soccer, but for every GAA league match, because the Gaelic Athletic Association was such a bastion of Irish natu- nationalism, they play the Irish anthem. And sometimes it's on a... Ter- it's like they don't have a band to play it. They'll play it on a, a, a dreadful like tape and it's crackly coming out of some tannoy and Fermanagh.
0: So yeah, my, my favorite would be... I used to... um Broadcast a lot of like high school football games in the area, yeah, and at these stadiums, like sometimes they wouldn't have like a lot of times these schools will send out like the choir to sing it, but sometimes they wouldn't do that like you said, they would just hold up a tape recorder to the microphone, but it would be like. It, it wouldn't just be a generic national anthem. They would do that of like Whitney Houston's famous Super Bowl national anthem. Oh. Was, like a little high school field being played from a tape cassette onto a microphone. I was like, oh, this is not coming off the way you think. It's just like, no, so no. weird. Yeah.
1: I, I've also seen a guy absolutely loaded with beers and chili dogs at City Field suddenly stop on his descent to the seats for the national anthem in stopping the guy behind him, wasn't looking. He walks into him and the guy cascades down three steps with his beer and dogs going everywhere, just as the Rockets red
0: glare hot dogs everywhere. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, sometimes when it, you know, sometimes it's, it's great. And I see players react to it, you know, and emotional.
1: Oh my God. For international games. I really get it. I do understand it. Maybe there's something to be said for every single MLS game. Maybe it's not necessary. I don't know. I I actually don't have an answer to that.
0: Yeah. But I'm saying like he, what I, I guess my basic point is that when Bruce arena says something that's a little bit out there, um, there's sometimes there's this like instinct from American soccer, Twitter to rip it. And I'm just saying, this is one that I wouldn't necessarily vilify him for having this opinion.
1: No, me neither. Um, Kaya. Hey, Andrew and JJ. My name is Kaya and I'm contacting you because my brother, Brandon is a football player. and one of the biggest fans of your podcast. He turns 14 on the 28th of June. This is Sunday. And because of COVID, we can't be together for his, uh, for his birthday this year. That's terrible. I was wondering if there's anything you guys might be able to say either in an episode or in a video that I could present to him as a gift. He has literally made everyone in the family subscribe to caught Offside, and he quizzes us on certain episodes to make sure we listened. Oh my to- God. That's I love it. Brandon.
0: Happy birthday, Brandon.
1: Bra- Brandon. Happy birthday. And I love that you are not just supporting the podcast, but you're enforcing listening to the podcast. I feel bad
0: now that this was so deep into the podcast. I hope he makes it. Although if he's, you know, you know what, that's silly of me. If if he's he's, Kaya says he's like our biggest fan, so of course he's he's here till the end listening. Brandon, that's we salute you. you.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. All. Have a, have a great one, man. Um, and there you go. Is that the mailbag? Uh, that is the mailbag, Andrew. Wow. Actually, it's not the mailbag. Oh my! <laughs> There's one thing. Quickly, I'll do it quickly. All right. Okay. Very, very quickly. This was sent to us by a number of you. Um, it's an amazing thread by Slava Malmud. Um So the Russian Premier League has restarted today and holy crap, did it restart with an enormous and an enormously stupid scandal. An entire team got infected. The team is FC Rostov, who was scheduled to play against FC Sochi today. Somehow they failed to abide by the quarantine measures. Someone caught the virus. And by the time their restart training camp was over, it had spread through the entire roster. What happened next? Rostov, are battling for a place in the UEFA Champions League, petitioned Sochi to reschedule the match. Sochi, a bottom feeder, is actually a thinly disguised farm team to Zenit St. Petersburg, a team owned by Putin's cronies and guaranteed to win the title this year. So FC Sochi basically came out and said, screw you, this is your problem, we're not rescheduling. The league utterly dropped the ball and allowed all this to happen, so Rostov was left to figure out what to do. What they had decided to do, and this was on Friday, the kids, and they are actually kids, the oldest is 19, the youngest is 16, all got the word three days ago. None of them practiced since March, basically just going to school via Zoom all this time. So they got together, traveled to Sochi to play against adult professionals. the country went ballistic. Sochi were castigated on social media, to which they responded with an Instagram post showing a sad-looking schoolboy. The post said, Hey, we're all schoolboys at one time. The field is even. The ball is round. Let's play. <laughs> what
0: was the final it, score of this game?
1: It was 4-1 at half time. It was 7-1 towards the end. Um, Alexander Corakran scored a hat-trick. He, was, he recently done time for viciously attacking a man in a cafe and beating him up with a chair. And he's playing against these children. Wow. They scored a goal. They did get a goal. All
0: right. That's something. I mean, oh, my God. They achieved their objective of qualifying for Europe. but uh...
1: The Corinthian spirit is alive in Sochi. Can you imagine that phone call straight to Putin's office? Hey, Vladimir, there's a youth team that needs to be, you know, we, we got to give them this game. Crush them (laughs) if they die, they they die. die.
0: Oh man, there you go. What a podcast this was. Um, this is a lot of yeah. We'll be back next week. More likely than not, we will be discussing Liverpool's first title in the league in 30 years. That is probably what is on the horizon, Uh, among many other things. The race for the top four. Relegation. We'll see what developments happen with NWSL. MLS is getting closer to starting. Also, by the way, JJ, this coming weekend is the wedding, my sister's wedding, that I'm officiating. Um, I'm in the early stages. I'm still trying to map out like how this all works. I think what I'm realizing is that I have been to tons of weddings in my life, and yet apparently I didn't pay an ounce of attention at (laughs) any ceremony because I don't know what to do.
1: Wow, Um, but this is a so this is going to be a small ceremony, right?
0: Yeah, because obviously you can't have the wedding that they were planning on having, but they still want to just get married now and they'll do a party later. Wow. Uh, so it's going to be a very small ceremony. I want, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I have to get on this because it's, it's very, very soon. I want to make everybody as my goal is to make everyone as uncomfortable as possible. I want to just start it with like dearly beloved. Let's go around the room right now and each say who we're voting for. <laughs> I try make it as uncomfortable for everyone as possible.
1: Oh, drink just get horrendously drunk the night before and be stupidly hung over and a little bit drunk officiating. By the way, they've got to give you their vows. So
0: yeah, they're going to read their own vows.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. What are you worried about? You're making a face for a you. Need, you
1: need, you need to approve the vows.
0: No, I don't.
1: Right in the middle of it. When, when the guy is reading his, if it gets really mushy, you should just whisper under your voice. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> just like that.
0: <laughs> uh, well, you should know.
1: say god is this is this wet blanket really marrying my sister god
0: <laughs> well i'll let you know how it goes next week i'll be able to get yeah a full i'm record.
1: excited the, the very best of them the
0: very best yeah uh hey this was fun man to you i say check it out fun boy yeah you've been listening to the caught offside soccer podcast Did you know GEICO's now offering an extra 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies? That's 15% on top of what GEICO could already save you. So what are you waiting for? Your teenager to help around the house?
1: Okay, Mom, I emptied the dishwasher, vacuumed the basement, and folded the sheets out of the dryer. Wait, what? Oh, and next, I'm going to clean Mitten's litter box. Are we in some kind of prank show or something? That's a camera, isn't it?
0: There's never been a better time to switch to GEICO. Save an extra 15% when you switch by October 7th. Limitations apply. Visit GEICO.com for details.